Welcome to Christian Outreach Centre, whether you're uh, in the house of God tonight or listening in online to our Podbean podcast, we, we trust that your faith will be fed and nourished in the knowledge that God is building you up in the realm of the Spirit, and He does so line upon line and precept upon precept. Here a little and there a little, says Proverbs. We are, and you are, a living stone, and we need the living Word not only to sustain us, but to grow us all in the things of God. An athlete may not remember every meal that he's had, uh, but as an athlete, he knows that if he continues to eat and to train and to rest, an athlete will grow. And you and I as Christians, if we continue to feed on the Word through reason of use, to train up and exercise our spiritual muscle and to rest in God, we will all grow. Amen. Even though we don't always remember every single message, every single prayer meeting that we've been to, but we know that if we continue to do the things that God has called us to do, we will not only be sustained spiritually, but we will grow spiritually. And it is my will, and I pray that it is yours too, that you will continue to grow and make a decision to do so till the day the Lord brings us home. But I'd love, if you will, to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 17, And I'd like to read verses from 1 to 12. And it says, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James and John, his brother, uh, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with them. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Now as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and be re- will be restore all things. And um, I'd like to finish up on there, but it goes on uh, the same scripture as is read basically, very similar, in Luke chapter 9, 28 to 36. So in Matthew 17 is recorded the event when Jesus took Peter, James and John and led them high up on a mountain by themselves. And it says in, in Luke that he took them up there to pray. And this would be a prayer meeting to remember and like no other. Amen. Who'd like to go to a prayer meeting like that? Wouldn't it be good? But we've had some glorious prayer meetings over the years, incredible prayer meetings. It says there that Jesus was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. And so this is what I would call a leader's prayer meeting. Because Jesus took the three amigos, uh, 
his favorite three, his inner circle of three. And it says that Jesus' countenance changed as, his, as he prayed. Isn't it amazing? The countenance of Moses, when he went up onto the mountain and he came down, his face, they put a veil over his face because his face was shining. Amen? And uh, being in the presence of God has a look to it. It says, the eyes are the window to the soul, says Proverbs, and your eyes and your countenance will change. And your countenance will change too when you go up to your mountain and begin to pray. And I've noticed that. My, I feel a total different person having come in from a good season of prayer. And so there were 12 disciples and, and they were Jesus' direct sphere, sphere of influence. The Bible says that to each one has been given a metron or measure of influence. Jesus' direct influence, although he ministered to thousands at a time, in regard to influencing ministry, he ministered basically to 12 only. And he, that was his focus on reproducing his own ministry for the time that was yet to come. It was reported that Jesus was baptizing more than John the Baptist, and some got their noses out of joint because of it. And, but the scriptures reveal that it was, in fact, his disciples who were doing the baptizing. Amen? That's good spiritual leadership. Good spiritual leadership has no problem releasing others into their calling. Good spiritual leadership has no, others, has no problem with releasing people into their giftings and into their ministry. The saddest thing that I have seen over the years is fantastic people of God boiling away for, uh, for God sitting in the pews till they boil dry because they have not been released into their calling. And so insecure ministry is fearful, and the Pharisees were a great example of that, and they constantly felt threatened by Jesus' ministry. I think one of the greatest prayers in ministry that you can pray is, Lord God, your kingdom come, my kingdom go. And a lot of us build up our own kingdoms in some small way or some grand way. But God says that he is in fact building his church and we are to make disciples. So it's good to know too on the other side of it that the great disciples have no problem with a good ministry covering. That's wisdom in that, isn't it? And so Peter, James and John... They were also found in Matthew 26, not far from Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so they were the inner circle. And you'll find in a, in a group of uh, raising up leaders, there is only so many that you can impart deeply into. And two or three people is sufficient for that. Broadly speaking, one person can only minister in regard to passing on and teaching ministry to a group of about 12. And so, and so they were raised up. This inner circle was being developed to be spiritual leaders among the 12 and to this new body called the church, which was not yet even revealed to them. When I spoke about the church a couple of weeks ago, it had not yet been revealed that God was bringing about a, a cutting off of the bower of Israel so that the nations of the earth would be grafted in. And so they were being taught and groomed to take on this new body called the church. And so there are three bodies in the Bible, and it's the Jews, the Greeks or the nations, and the church. 
And when you're looking at scripture, particularly end time scripture, it's very, very good to know who that scripture is talking to. Is it the Jews? Is it the nations? Or is it the church? And your end time theology will brought very much quickly into line when you understand that simple uh, basic thing. But so for the 12, there were later in the gospel accounts the, seven, the sen sending out of 70. And the book of Acts, the ever, it talks about the ever increase of the kingdom of God expanding from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth as it says in Acts chapter 1. Fulfilling the Great Commission, and it also fulfills Old Testament scripture in, in Isaiah uh, 9. It says, and the increase of his government, or the increase of his influence, that is the Messiah, there would be no end. And so it has been to this very day. The increase of the, of the ministry of Jesus through his disciples, throughout generation after generation, there will be no end. You know, people say, oh, the gospel, it's not getting out there anymore and this and that. It's a lot of rubbish. The church is growing. The influence of Jesus Christ, it says, will increase till the end of the day. And it says both Moses and Elijah also appeared. And why their purpose was, and they spoke to Jesus of his decease, which means his exodus is the, is the Greek word, really, that it means. And so literally... The exodus or the dying, the passing away of Jesus. Jesus knew directly after this chapter, Jesus determinedly heads for Jerusalem. And the rest of the Gospel of Matthew then focuses on the end time ministry of Jesus. But it goes to show you that everybody needs encouraging, amen? And if Jesus needed encouraging, you can bet your life that we need encouraging. And they spoke to Jesus literally about his own exodus. And once it shows again that Jesus was very much as much man as though he were not God. He felt deeply emotion. Jesus wept. Jesus bled. Jesus sweated. He felt the heat. He was hungry and he thirsted. And he felt everything that you and I here feel today. And so... Um, and the, the disciples must have thought things could, probably couldn't get any more glorious as they were up on that mountain. Jesus' face was shone and he was transfigured and he, he shone. And then a bright cloud overshadowing them being obviously the covering of the Holy Spirit. And the voice of the Father came out, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And so really you have in this instant only the second time really in the whole of the gospel accounts where the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost in the form of the overshadowing cloud are present. The only other time is at Jesus' baptism. Remember that? And so what a glorious moment. But many of you will have experienced great heights in your walk with God. Since that day that you gave your life to Jesus Christ and you've had spiritual highs. And we all know that we have spiritual lows as well. Or is it just me? But I've had spiritual lows as well. But our great transfiguration or mountaintop experiences where the Holy Spirit has led you to climb the Mount of Transfiguration and the presence of the Jesus and the Holy Ghost and the things of God was so rich and the fellowship so sweet that you didn't never want to come down. Who's ever been there? You've been in that place of prayer 
And like Peter, you just wanted to pitch your tent there and stay there forever, amen? Who, want, who wouldn't have wanted to pitch their tent? I would have pitched about six tents. One for Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for the three, the three amigos, amen? Six tents. I would have just wanted to stay there. And I have felt that in mountaintop experiences, but I knew I had to work the next day. And I said, Lord, just one more hour. Who's ever felt that? When you're in that glorious presence of God, and it, the hours just ticked away. I've been in those places, and I'm sure at times you have too. But the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles is a Jewish feast where the people for about a week live in, in a temporary dwelling. I was in Israel when the Feast of Booths was on. Booths is really, or the tabernacle, is just another name for a tent or a or a, a, not a temporary dwelling, a temp, just a, a temporary dwelling, I'm sorry. And it was, a, a, and it was a, a tent is to remind the people of their wilderness wanderings living in a temporary home. And that's what the Feast of Tabernacles is all about, or the Feast of Booths, to remind the Jewish people, even to this day, that they are living in a temporary dwelling, for they have not as yet arrived at your destination." Who knows you and I, we have not arrived at our destination. I don't care if you're going to refurb your house, build yourself a new house, and you put a new dishwasher in there and you've got the latest aircon going and everything's done and it's all beautiful. But know this, it is still a temporary dwelling because we are not citizens of this earth, but we're citizens of another place called heaven. And the lesson for us is not to hold on too tightly those beautiful things that God has called us merely to be a steward over for a period of time. But who wouldn't have wanted to stay there, both on the mountain that day and when Jesus was baptised, it says that there are the only two recorded times when all three members of the Trinity were present. So it was a glorious time, an amazing time. And uh, even after Jesus was baptised, when the Father confirmed his love for the Son, the Bible says that immediately Jesus was led into the wilderness. Isn't that amazing? So the Father and the Son, even at Jesus' baptism, was a glorious time. But he had to leave that place and go into the wilderness. And so too, that Jesus and the disciples went from that mountain of transfiguration back down into the valley. You and I have had to go through that as well. So Moses and Elijah were there present. And you think, well, why Moses and Elijah? Of all the Old Testament guys and girls, God chose Moses and Elijah. You see, Moses represents the law and Elijah the prophets. And both the law and the prophets supported Jesus in his redemption and messianic mission. And Jesus never came to abolish the law or the prophets but Jesus was a fulfillment of both of those ministries. And so Jesus was a fulfillment of it. And so the Old Testament in Hebrew, which comprises uh, of the Old Testament, the Old Testament in uh, the Old Testament Bible, I'm sorry, comprises our Old Testament only. So the, the groupings and order of uh, the, the Jewish Bible are somewhat different although the content is essentially identical to our Old Testament. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? The Jewish Bible is basically our Old Testament. Hardly, hardly any different at all. 
the configuration of it and the sequence is slightly different and their groupings are slightly different. But the Jewish Bible is called the Tanakh. Can you say that? Tanakh. Oh, come on, have a go. Tanakh. That's it, have a go. And so, what is the biblical meaning of that word Tanakh? It's, in it's interesting. The biblical meaning, it is actually a Hebrew acronym. And it's derived from the names of the three divisions of the Hebrew Bible, which are the Torah, which is the books of the law, or Moses, the five books, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Then there is the prophets in the Hebrew called the Nevi'im. And you can go to Jerusalem today and there's Nevi'im Street. That's the prophet street. There's Zerubbabel Street. There's uh, Yiftach, which is Jephthah. And, uh, and then there is the writings, which is the third separate section of the Hebrew Bible called the Ketuvim. And so there we have the Torah or the Tanakh. And so it's an acronym of those three sections of the Hebrew Bible. But on the mountain, Jesus touched them. On the mountain, it says that the, the, uh, they lifted up their eyes. Then Jesus led them off the mountain, down the cliffs and into the valley. Oh, what an anti-climax that must have been. They would have wanted so desperately just to stay on that mountaintop of experience. Who's ever been in that glorious zone? Sometimes we have a conference or a mountaintop experience and uh, we gather. It was a great gathering of the saints and there's food and there's fellowship and you don't want to go home, do you? It's such a glorious experience and that's too at some point in time, we've got to go. Our, mount, our mountaintop experiences or our upper room experiences are given to us for a purpose. I'd like to envisage you, you see yourself in one of your own mountaintop experiences and now reflect on why did God reveal that to me? Why did God show me? Why did God allow me to experience the, his glorious presence in that way? And the real reason is to be used for the glory of God. For the Holy Spirit doesn't share his glory with any man, but it is to edify, that is to build us up so that we would be useful in the valley. Isn't that interesting? And to see souls saved, it brings a reality to your own faith. We know we don't, it says, the just shall live by faith. Not by, we're not governed by what we see, by what we believe, but these great spiritual experiences are given to us so that we will be able to edify the saints in the valley. That your next high mountaintop experience with God is that you may be more effective minister and to serve those who are in, in the valley. In the same way, the anointing and the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we know, who knows about all the gifts of the Spirit? There's nine fruits of the Spirit, but there is also nine gifts of the Spirit. And uh, those gifts and those anointing are actually not even for you. They are to be used through you to help you to serve the body of Christ. Amen? So sometimes we glorify in our spiritual gifts that we can operate in. Some people speak in tongues. Some people prophesy. Some people have words of knowledge. Some people have gifts of healings. 
And they're all wonderful things. And over the years, I have seen all these gifts uh, appearing and working in people's lives. Are these gifts to be despised? No, they're not. They are to be sought after. I, I have noticed one thing. It's not in my notes, but I'll bring it up now. That the people who have the greatest teaching on the gift of tongues are those who never operate in it. And I'm always amazed about that. People say, I don't believe in tongues. And they've got great theories and this and that, but they've never operated in it. Wouldn't, why wouldn't you want to ask or talk to somebody who operates in their gift and ask them their version and the reasons of their scripture? Amen? Isn't that an amazing thing, though? And so the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the anointing and your mountaintop experiences with God, ever real, you will never forget those experiences, and that's why you cannot be talked out of it, because you experienced it. Everybody else has a theory of what you experienced. You can read in the scripture and you said, that's what I that's what I experienced. You can't be talked out of that. You've experienced it. And so, in exactly the same way then, the anointing, the gifts of the Spirit, and your mountaintop experiences are basically to be used for the edifying or the building up or the charging, the reinvigorating of the church and to other believers and to be a witness and a testimony for those who are yet to come to faith. Amen? They are not for you. Often these mountaintop experiences, they're an absolute blessing to you, but they are really not for you, but they are to flow through you for the benefit of others. Isn't it amazing? It brings a whole new context, doesn't it? And a purpose of being in that divine presence of God. So when we come down from the mountain and we come out and we're led by the Holy Spirit from the upper room on from that great mountaintop empowering presence and experience which glorifies Jesus so that we can edify the church and to see souls saved. Jesus saves souls. We don't save anybody, but by proclaiming the gospel, people come to faith. We then are to make uh, disciples of these people. So beyond the four walls of the church is a sin-sick world. Very, very sick. And when we leave this mountain of transfiguration, our mountaintop, wonderful and beautiful experience, when we leave this upper room, we are the carriers of hope life and the gospel to a perishing world. Just ask you, Jules, if you would come to the keys at the moment. And uh, I recall many, many years ago, there was a very large Fijian man. I'm not sure if there were any small Fijian men, but he was a very, very large Fijian man. He was actually bigger than I am. And uh, he had hands as big as dinner plates. He had fingers like sausages huge man and he was had the most gentle gentle and beautiful depth of voice and I used to see him from time to time and he had a smile which radiated the love of Christ he worked in the fields during the day he was nearly 70 years of age man mountain you could call him and his name was Tom I saw him many years after a few years being parted and I saw him, not that we ever spoke much, but I could see we had a spiritual connection. And uh, 
And he said to me, he said, Jeff, I see that you are still hungry for God. Oh, I said, yes, Tom, I am. I see that you are still hungry for God. And then he said, very, very short conversation. He said, Jeff, go to the mountain. Go to the people and deliver. Jeff, go to the mountain. Go to the people and deliver. Jeff, go to the mountain. Go to the people and deliver. And then he walked off. And I've never seen him since. But the word is the same. To be... The mountain place is where the presence of God can wrap all around you. The place of prayer. The place of intimacy with God. When everything changes, your perspective of everything changes. And when you come back down into the valley from being into that mountaintop place, you see the world differently and the world sees you differently. You minister not with the law, which we could all do, the do's and the don'ts and the should nots and should do's. But there's just such a beautiful grace that comes around the believer when he's been in the presence of God. When Jonathan Edwards in the Great Awakening in the Americas, he preached an amazing sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And if you've ever read that sermon, it's a mighty sermon. And uh, they said it was fire and brimstone. But himself was a man softly spoken and full of grace. When he brought that message to the people at that time, he read it word from word. He looked directly at the back wall with no feeling and he spoke in an absolute monotone voice. But it wasn't the monotone voice that brought conviction and brought a transformation to the whole region at that time and sparked one of America's great awakenings, him and others. But it should be known, and very few people know this, that Jonathan Edwards, prior to giving any sermon, would spend about 18 hours in prayer before he delivered his message. I confess I haven't done that tonight. And probably that's one reason I don't get Jonathan Edwards' results. And so being, he was on his mountaintop experience. And the presence of God would be all around him. And he opened up his, opened up his folder. I'm not sure they had folders a couple of hundred years ago, but there he was. And he spoke, looked directly at the back wall and preached his message, sinners in the hands of an angry God, describing a situation where the masses and multitudes of people are walking across hell on a rotting parchment which could break at any time and their foot would slip in due time. People began to clutch their pews, thinking hell is too good for me, and they began to repent. And what a tremendous thing for people to repent, because it transfers them from one kingdom into another. I pray that your mountaintop experiences will help people in the valley, because in the valley, even in this region here, there is a people really in despair. In the valley, there is a people here 
with very little hope and no vision and no future. In the valley, there is no healing. There's no future and there's no peace because they do not know the Prince of Peace. Your mountaintop experiences is to elevate others from eternal loss. Lift them out of their despair, their sickness and their hopelessness to a life of health, healing and hope and salvation. Isaiah put it right when he said, Today is the day of salvation. I encourage you, take your mountaintop experiences and use them as a weapon in the hands of the Lord. Your life is a weapon or an instrument for the purposes of God to a lost, sick and dying world. And I pray that you'd stand to your feet right now. And for those listening online, I pray in Jesus' name that you would see those mountaintop experiences as something special, not just for you, but they would bring a conviction of your faith. And I pray that salvation would be the result. That as you've come down from the mountain and gone into the valley and met people where they are, then you can tell them about the love of Christ. Father, in the name of Jesus, if you've never given your life to Jesus, I pray that you do today. And that spiritual awakening would, is just the beginning and that would set you on a course to become not just a fan, but a follower of Jesus Christ and a disciple of Jesus Christ. I encourage you, don't put it off any longer and do it today in the name of Jesus. you. Yeah.